And all of God's people said amen. amen. Thank you, Amy. Thank you, team. I noticed the screen said Sunday, the 8th of January, is Stan, our beloved Stan Carter's farewell. It is January the 5th. Don't show up on January the 8th in the morning. If you want to show up January the 8th, come in the evening for prayer meeting. And talking about January 5th, we'll begin a series of messages, both at 9 and 10.30, where Jonathan will be preaching at 9, I'll be preaching the same message, the same series of messages, entitled, Don't Ever Give Up, from 2 Timothy. So come prayful, and come prepared to be blessed by the Word of God. Every now and again, I ask you to join me in welcoming we don't know how many millions of people are watching live, but my colleagues, uh, Farid Garas over at Kingdom, Heads Kingdom Sat, and many others have been working hard so that our beloved brother, or who is sitting in a room over there, translating every word that is spoken here, in, whether it be in song or sermon or prayer, into Arabic. And so I want you to join with me in welcoming all of the Kingdom Sad viewers around the world right now, live. Thank you. And also they'll be broadcasting at Christmas Eve as well. Father, I pray that in the name of Jesus and through the power of His blood, that whether here in this beautiful sanctuary or around the world, that no one would see a man, a man with all of his foibles and failures, but they will see Jesus. I pray that people would hear only your word spoken, regardless of the messenger. And we thank you that that is the kind of prayer that you answer, because we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Some time ago, I read an amazing book. Not a Christian book. Uh, at least uh, once a year, sometimes twice a year, I make a point of reading a secular book. Uh, several years ago, when I read this particular book, and it, it's about in the 1800s and part of the 1900s, a European family uh, that exercise incredible power around the world. Uh, and yet, their exercise of that power was hidden from view. Nobody knew about it. They controlled financial markets. They manipulated political events. They influenced uh, global uh, events. Uh, but it was all hidden power. Uh, nobody knew about it except a handful of people. The public at large had no idea of what's going on and, and the extent of the power of that European family. In fact, uh, 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 they had uh, this only few who knew about it, and they were sworn to secrecy. Among other things, this particular powerful, wealthy European family financed and gave financial support both to England and to France during the Battle of Waterloo. 
figuring out that whoever emerges as the victor will be beholding to them. Not only that, but they had uh, so many intelligent officers around the world on their payroll that, that, that it, it would have rivaled the CIA. All done behind the scenes. All this power was done with invisible hands. Uh, yet, they were the ones who determined who should come to power and who should not. Some historians actually describe this European family as the most powerful family in modern history. But alas, they used their power for selfish ends. They used their power for their own perverted ego. They used their power for their own gratification. They used their power to increase their wealth. And in so doing, they employed cunning, deceptive, and manipulative methods. Self-serving. And yet, that hidden power manipulated circumstances. They manipulated stock markets. They manipulated people according to their whims and desires. Whenever I read a secular book or read the book like that, I, I always have my, world, my, my, my Christian worldview, my biblical worldview at the forefront. As I, I read, I keep my own perspective, my biblical perspective in mind. In reading such books, I, but particularly this one, I, I was fascinated. I wasn't really fascinated by the power per se. And some people may, but I really was not. That was not my, my, my biggest fascination. But my biggest fascination was how the public was oblivion to their power. How the masses were ignorant of their power. The world uh, was totally blinded to the extent of their powers. In many ways, my biblical worldview immediately informed me <laughs> to, to my sorrow and sadness as to the blindness of the masses today to another power, totally different power, completely opposite kind of power. Of course, the power I'm talking about is equally hidden from the masses, from the public eye, and yet it is far greater power. It is the power that is often unseen, and yet it is a superior power in every way. The power I'm talking about is a selfless power. It's a power of self-giving. It, it is a power that is used for good, not for evil. It's a power that is permanent power. It is a power that is far-reaching power. It is a supernatural power. It is the eternal power, and yet the masses neither either ignorant of it or they refuse to acknowledge it. The masses, either they're oblivious to it or they deny its existence. The masses, either they pay lip service to it or they're fearful to recognize that power. And of course, you know I'm talking about the power of the Lord Jesus Christ. During the season, the masses, Christians or non-Christian, it doesn't matter. The masses are very happy to think 
of a helpless babe in the manger. They're even happy to think of a helpless body hanging on a cross or some sort of a feeble old man sitting in heaven uh, who's impotent and able to stop evil from happening in the world. They refuse to accept the powerful, resurrected, ascended, glorified Jesus. That's where the masses are. To be sure, yes, he was a helpless babe in Bethlehem. Sure, he was, had a helpless body hanging on the cross. Yes, and he died on that cross. But there, even in these events, even in the manger, even on the cross, he it was, is, and always will be the mighty and everlasting God. And that is why 1,000 years before Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, God the Father said in Psalm 110 that Jesus is the only anointed Messiah, that Jesus is the only Savior of the world, that Jesus is the only way to Him, the Father. Now, if you are a guest with us, this is basically a very short series of messages during Advent on the Messianic Psalms, the Psalms that prophesied of the coming of the Messiah. And it's so clear. Uh, You wonder how these great theologians, the Pharisees and the others, could not see it when it happened. Last message, if you weren't here, download it from Psalm 2. We looked and saw how God, a thousand years before Christ, revealed the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and we saw the function and the role of each member of the Trinity in Psalm chapter 2. And here, 1,000 years before the first Christmas, in Psalm 110, God reveals to us Jesus as reigning and ruling supreme over the universe. (laughs) Jesus, uh, with His ruling power over the world. In Psalm 110, again, like Psalm 2, is one of the greatest prophetic messianic prophecy of all of the Old Testament. In fact, once Psalm 110 is the most directly quoted in every, almost every book of the New Testament. In fact, it was quoted at least 27 times in the New Testament. It is quoted by uh, Mark and Luke and Acts, 1 Corinthians, Ephesians, uh, Colossians, Hebrews, 1 Peter, all quoting Psalm 110. And Psalm 110 is all about the divine power of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's all about His kingly power. It's all about His high priestly power. It's all about His judicial power. It's all about His power of intercession. It's about the vastness of His power over the universe, even now as we're sitting in this place. Now, there is no psalm or passage in the Old Testament that clearly spells uh, the divinity of the Lord Jesus Christ like Psalm 110. This psalm is a prophecy declaring 
the coming of the Lord Jesus. And in it, you're going to see Jesus' divinity, incarnation, his suffering, uh, the power to forgive us our sins, uh, his ascension, uh, his soon coming judge to judge the world, and yes, as the only giver of eternal life. In a time when it's fashionable in some circles and some churches to say that God cannot only have one way, there are many ways to God. God said a, a thousand years before Christ, He's Jesus the only. Jesus the only. Now, Psalm 110, if you want to follow with me, it's on page 951 in the Pew Bible, if you don't have your own Bible with you. But I like to do what we did last time, and that's I'm going to ask you to stand in honor of the Word of God, and I'm going to give you the first sentence, and I want you to read it. And as you read it, ask the Holy Spirit to let it penetrate deep into your mind, your heart, your will, so that you'll be encouraged on this day. I'm going to use the first sentence. The Lord says to my Lord, go. That's that it. <laughs> Father, again, I ask you in the name of Jesus, while this is exciting, it is thrilling, I pray that it will be uplifting, especially in the times when we go through some dark tunnels in our lives, especially when we are facing challenges and grief and sorrow in our hearts, for we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I want to give you a 30-second history lesson, okay? 30 seconds, literally 30 seconds. If you blink, you're going to miss it. If you're listening, say amen. amen. God said to David, King David of Israel, through the prophet Nathan, who came to deliver God's message to him, that God will have his descendant to permanently sit on the throne of Israel. In other words, the Messiah will be a descendant of David, the physical descendants of David. Here in Psalm 110, God the Holy Spirit is telling all of us through David, because God, the Holy Spirit, directly spoke to David as he was putting down pen to paper on Psalm 110. And he said that your son is not going to only be the son of David, but he's going to be the son of God. The God-man Jesus. David sees Jesus 
who is a physical descendant of his from the tribe of Judah, to be far greater than King David himself. He's far greater. That's why he calls him Lord. God the Father told God the Son to sit at his right hand until he makes all of his enemies to be his footstool. Ah, this is not the Jesus that the masses want to believe in. This is not the Jesus who is welcomed in the halls of power. This is not the Jesus that the masses really want to submit to. Uh, recently, an Islamic scholar, and uh, those who are watching in the Middle East, you probably remember, because it was quoted in the press in the Middle East, this Islamic scholar said, we are happy to accept Jesus, the Son of Mary, but not the Jesus, the Son of God. But that's precisely why he was crucified, because he called himself the Son of God, and he proved it. A thousand years before Christ was born in Bethlehem of Judea, God the Father said, His Son will be none other than the Son of God who will rule and reign over the universe. In Matthew 22, the Lord Jesus Christ Himself applied the words of the psalmist to His life, saying that after He pays for the wages of our sins on the cross, He will be enthroned in heaven. And beloved, this is where Jesus is right now. He's reigning and ruling over the rim of the universe. Even though they cannot see it with their physical eyes, even though they do not acknowledge it now, even though they cannot accept it now. But for those of us, through the eyes of faith, we know that His power is supreme that His Word is final, that His sovereignty is a reality, and His authority is indisputable. Now, you have to understand, in the ancient world, when there are kings, basically supreme kings, when they throw a banquet, when they give a big banquet, as you read sometimes in the Old Testament, Cyrus of Persia and others, and you you see it. Whenever they threw a big banquet, whoever sits at the right hand of the king is the most honored guest. He's not only the honored person, uh, but it is the most significant seat. But it's not only the most significant seat, it's the most privileged place. But that seat only is occupied by someone who has all of the king's authority. It is occupied by someone who has all of the king's power. Uh, He is the one who carries the signet ring for the king. In other words, he will make all the decisions, and the king basically blesses it. Listen to me. (laughs) When Jesus walked the streets of our earth, He was scorned and reviled. He was harassed and taunted. He was mocked and rejected. He was arrested and unjustly tried in a kangaroo court. He was betrayed by His friends. He was forsaken by His disciples. And when He hung on that cross, at that very moment, everyone thought, it's over. 
It's over. They thought their dreams were shattered. They thought their hope is, was dead. But thousand years before Christ was born in Bethlehem, God told us that when you see that happen, it's not over. It's not over. Can I get an amen? amen. And thus he rose from the dead on the third day. And 40 days later, after his resurrection, he was ascended into heaven. And there, when he got to heaven, God the Father said, Son, welcome home. <laughs> welcome home. Welcome home. Sit at my right-hand side until I make your enemies to be your footstool. Now, I must confess to you, I can have one-man revival just on that verse. I really, and I start, you know, being a writer, I write, and as I'm getting excited, and I'm writing and writing and writing, and then I looked and I said, wait a minute, this is going to be a two-hour sermon. So I had to go back and get the rest of the psalm in here. Now, beloved, if you cannot have that vision in your heart and in your life and in your mind of the glorified Jesus sitting on the right hand of the Father, reigning supreme now, even though the world might be out of control. It is not out of His control. If you cannot visualize that, you can pray, and I believe with all my heart, God will give you that vision. In fact, make that to be your prayer as you come down and participate at the Lord's table. Say, Lord God, give me a vision of Jesus, mighty Jesus, sitting, reigning, and ruling in the universe. See, the Jesus of whom Psalm 110 speak is the resurrected, ascended, glorified, soon-coming judge Jesus. Every human being, every human being on the face of the earth can make one of two choices. Only two, one of two choices. You don't have a third option. Only two. You can know Him now as your Lord and Savior and friend, or you risk for all of eternity become His footstool. That's the choice. That's the choice every human being has. Look with me, please, at verses 2 and 3. The Lord will extend your mighty scepter from Zion. That's where it started, but it's going to extend throughout the universe. You will rule in the midst of your enemies. The troops, that's your troops, will be willing. Say that with me. Will be willing. Will be willing in the day of battle. Anyone, sorry, arrayed in holy majesty... From the womb of the dawn, you received the dew of your youth. Now, beloved, listen to me. This is a picture of how kings ruled in the past. Kings do not stand up and make pronouncements like we have a speech, a president we give a speech. No, no. Sovereigns, when they make a pronouncement, when they're announcing the rule, when they're making big decisions, they sit down. They sit down as they rule and express their sovereignty. I just saw Her Majesty Queen Elizabeth last week was opening Parliament, and she sat the entire time while she making the announcements of the policy of her government. They sit down when they're making the rules. They don't stand up. That's an expression of their sovereignty. And that is why 
God the Lord says to my Lord. The God the Father said to God the Son, sit at my right hand. Because that's from where you're going to exercise power. That's from where you're going to exercise your sovereignty. That's from where you're going to announce and you're going to rule and you're going to heal and you're going to touch and you're going to change and transform lives. Before Christ and after Christ, the glorified Messiah Jesus sits down. The glorified Messiah Jesus is expanding his kingdom all over the globe. All over the globe. How? Through his willing servants. His willing servants. Through his willing children. Through his willing soldiers of the cross. That's you and me. That's you and me. That's how he's going to extend his rule through you and me, sharing Christ with neighbors and friends. That's that's how this prophecy is fulfilled, in you and in me. Question. How is he ruling now? Right now, while he is ruling on the rim of the universe, he's also ruling in the hearts of his children. If Jesus is not ruling in your heart, he has not, you have not accepted him as Savior and Lord yet. That's how he's, going to, he's ruling right now, in the hearts of his children. And they are to trust him and obey him. His subjects are living in enemy's territories. If you, don't, if you think this world is friendly to Jesus, you're not living in this world that I know. You see, he rules in the hearts of his children while they're living in enemy's territories. The subjects of the king are living in enemy's territories. As many of you know, I was in Dubai a couple of weeks, a few weeks ago. And I spoke in so many functions, and they told me that in a given meeting where I was speaking, there are at least 84 nationalities represented. And because of the economic boom, literally three-quarters of the population from outside, they come in to work. And in the church, in the gatherings that they had, 84 different nationalities Beloved, Jesus' disciples are everywhere. They are in Saudi Arabia, they're in Pakistan, they're in India, they're in China, they're in Indonesia, they're in Australia, they're in the United Kingdom, they're in the United States. They are everywhere in every corner of the globe, no matter where they're living, whether it be democracy or despotism. It doesn't matter. Jesus is reigning and ruling in the hearts of his subjects. Being faithful, and working to extend extend his kingdom. They are willing servants. They are willing servants. See, that's that's the fulfillment of of that song. They are inviting their friends and neighbors to come and know Jesus and to submit to his authority as king. Many of them do this at the cost of their lives, knowing that 
if their family found out, a member of their family could kill them. They could give them to the authorities, and they would torture them. But they tell you, I am telling you, trust me, I've seen the joy on their faces. And they said, this is so little to do. It's so small a thing to price to pay in relationship to the one who shed his cross, his blood on the cross for me. I want to tell you something. Please forgive me. Please forgive me ahead of time. That makes American Christianity looks like practical atheism. I don't say that with joy. They're not just following Jesus. They're bringing others to Jesus. They're fulfilling Psalm 110. Please don't miss what I'm going to tell you. Don't miss what I'm going to tell you. The greatest contrast between earthly king, earthly rulers, in relationship to their subject with the King Jesus, the King of heaven, is this. Earthly rulers and earthly kings have geographical boundaries. This is the territory of my country. But Christ does not. King Jesus has no boundaries. Earthly rulers uh, lead their subject to war so that they can extend their territories. King Jesus does not. Earthly rulers kill their enemies. Uh, not King Jesus. He invites his enemies to come and believe in him. The psalmist said, Jesus rules in the midst of his enemies. In the midst of his enemies' territories, he is reigning and ruling. Please listen to me. Christians are hated and persecuted and killed in the land of despots. Because they, because they are despots, they do not want their subjects' primary allegiance to King Jesus. They want it to be to them. And here is the irony. Here is the irony. Listen carefully. Jesus' followers are the most law-abiding people. They're the most law-abiding citizens. Uh, Jesus' followers are those who pray for their leaders and their rulers. Oh, but they will never, ever bow the knee to anyone other than King Jesus. You see, you have to understand, we are called upon to be among the enemies of God. We're not called upon to put on white robes and head for the mountains. Jesus prayed that they'll be in the world, but not of it. We are called upon to be there. Don't abdicate. Don't abdicate where God has called you to be. We are called upon to love those who call themselves enemies of God. We are called upon 
to pray for those who call themselves to be enemies of Jesus. We are called upon to persuade the enemies of God to turn to Him, to believe in Him, and to be blessed by Him. Can I get an amen? Amen. And furthermore, we must do all of that willingly. As the prophecy said, willingly, not under compulsion. We said, oh, I've got to do this. I guess it's my duty to do it. No, 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 no. You do it with joy. Opportunities to bring people to hear the gospel message. I do it with joy. I said, oh, I've got to think and I have to do this. And I, No, no, no. If you start doing that, don't do it. <laughs> you lose your reward already. Here again, here again. Look at it in the text. Your troops will be willing. Say that with me. Your not conscripted, <laughs> not conscripted, willing. The question is this. Are you a willing soldier? Are you a willing subject? Have you ever presented yourself to the Lord and says, Lord Jesus, I'm reporting for duty. I'm reporting for duty. Here I am. Use me. The average person says, Lord, here I am. Send my sister. <laughs> oh, no, my beloved. Here I am. Send me. Send me. Regardless of the cost of discipleship, send me. But Jesus does not only have kingly power as He sits on the throne on the right hand of the Father, but secondly, He has high priestly power. High priestly power. Look at verses 4, 5, 6, and 7. The Lord has sworn and will not change His mind. You are a priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. Melchizedek was a type of Christ in the Old Testament. When you go home, read Genesis chapter 14. All, read about Melchizedek, who met Abraham as he coming victoriously from the battle. And then Abraham literally bowed to him, and he gives him 10% of his net worth. Not 10% of his income, 10% of his net worth. And he hands it to him. It's not surprising that Jesus said, Abraham saw my days and rejoiced, and they want to kill him. You're not even 50 years old. How can you say, Abraham saw your day? That's what he's talking about. Melchizedek. Melchizedek, the king of righteousness. The king of righteousness. Here's the amazing thing. Here's the amazing thing in the Old Testament. Back then, there was called what we say in America, I don't know about the rest of the world, but we call in America separation of powers. Separation of powers. I'm not going to get into this, but I think the founders got the idea from the Bible. The separation of power was ordained by God in the Old Testament. And he said the king must always do the work of the king, not the priest's 
job. And the priest must not do the king's job. The priest should do the priestly work, and the kings do the kingly work. And you remember in the Bible, when dear old King Saul, bless his heart, he, he just could not wait for Samuel to get here, and then he did the work of the priest, and he offered sacrifice. And he received the worst, the worst of condemnation. His whole family line was cut off. Ah, he mixed the powers. God called him to be king, not priest. And I'm saying this for a reason. You must understand this. This is unique. This is unique in the Christian faith. But even the high priest in the Old Testament who would go into the Holy of Holies once a year to offer sacrifice for the sins of the people, everyone who have sinned right after that day will have to wait another year to know if their sins were forgiven or not. They have waited for a year in guilt and shame and misery with burdened conscience. Oh, praise God, we live in the New Testament. I don't know about you. I bless God every day that I live in the New Testament. Because now in the New Testament, because Jesus is our great high priest, the King of heaven, our Lord Jesus Christ, our sins can be forgiven the moment we confess and repent. But there's more. There's more. Because our high priest who is also king, cannot be changed every few years. And in, 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 a, in a Levitical system, the high priest changed every few years. But praise God, our great high priest does not change. He is forever. He said in the order of Melchizedek, forever. Because the decree of God the Father that Jesus is the only one now and forevermore. He's our only, not only king, but the great high priest. Melchizedek was called the king of Salem, that is the king of peace. Why? Because he not only represented permanent priesthood, not only represented permanent rule and sovereignty, but he also represented the power, the power of continuous intercession. Continuous intercession. Listen to me. I don't care what background you come from or what denominational background you come from. There is only one intercessor between man and God, and his name is Jesus, the great high priest. A pope cannot intercede for you. A saint cannot intercede for you. A priest cannot intercede between you and God. Only the high priest, King Jesus, can intercede for you in heaven. You see, Melchizedek was a picture, picture of Jesus. He was a shadow, a foreshadow of the coming Jesus. Because Christ is our true high priest, king of peace. He's the king of peace. Christ, our true intercessor. Nobody else can intercede for you except for Jesus. He paid the price for that ability to stand in the gap between every human being and God the Father. Please listen carefully what I'm going to tell you. Please listen carefully. Not only Jesus' kingly power is prophesied. Not only Jesus' 
permanent high priestly intercession power is prophesied. But Jesus' judiciary power is prophesied. He's the only judge. He's the only judge. When he sits on the judge's bench on that last day, every human being on the face of the earth are going to be judged by King Jesus. That is why the Apostle Paul in Acts 17, he said, the time of ignorance God has overlooked, but now he commands everyone everywhere to repent, for he has appointed a day in which he will judge the world by this man, Jesus, whom he raised from the dead. My prayer, my prayer, and the cry of my heart that he may give us the faith, the eyes of faith to visualize our glorified Jesus reigning and ruling in heaven right now. My prayer, my prayer that everyone at the sound of my voice no more see the helpless babe in Bethlehem, no more see the helpless body hanging on the cross. The Apostle Paul said, we know him after the flesh no more. He's no longer a baby. He's no longer on that cross. He is now the glorified, magnified, reigning, and ruling King Jesus. It is my prayer and the prayer of my heart, because He is soon coming judge. And you better be on the right side of the judge. What we now try to see with eyes of faith, we will see with our physical eyes. Since I have committed my life to Christ, I was sharing this actually last week with Roland Cox. Ever since I gave my life to Christ, I have dreamed of the day when I see the sky split open and hear the trumpet sound, and the shout of the archangel, and then rejoice exceedingly to see the one who died for me, who shed his blood for me, who loved me so, who's been faithful with me for all my life. And I pray the same for everyone at the sound of my voice. Would you do that with me today as we bow our heads in prayer? Father, we know the Apostle Paul said, For me to die is gain, to live is Christ, to die is gain. Lord, whichever way it is, whether it be in heaven or earth, it doesn't matter. We know that we are under His rule right now. And that is why, Father, I pray on behalf of everyone whom I never have heard this wonderful news that they can come under Jesus' rule. They can submit to Him as King. They can ask for His forgiveness as a great high priest. And they can prepare their hearts and minds for the rest of their lives for that great day. We know that it is coming. And we know and we grieve over those who don't 
know him. Lord, may this Christmas season be the day in which the loved ones and the friends and the neighbors that we have prayed for for a long time, may this be the time of the year. May this be the moment. May this be the end of, the year, the end of this year be the time when they give their life to Jesus Christ and start 2020 as new creatures in Christ. Father, I pray this because I believe, we believe, we're united together in believing that you, Lord Jesus, not only have heard our prayers, but you have answered them because we pray them in your name, Jesus. Amen and amen and amen. Stand up and bless the Lord in a song.